Aren't we fortunate to have the musicians we have in this church? You know, every now and then the worship team has us do a song that brings back a lot of memories to me. Last week, the team sang, uh, I'll Fly Away. And in the 1960s, there was a men's Kaimishi Mountain gathering every summer. About 3,000 men every year uh, gathered in a big pole barn and sang to the top of their voices. And I remember one time I was on a bench next to an old guy named Inhofe, 80 years old. And he was singing that song to the top of his voice. I looked at him, I thought, boy, it won't be long before that's real for you. <laughs> now I'm 88. <laughs> and then today, this is my father's world. I learned that in probably the primary or junior department of Sunday school. And my, my. And that's one of Ed Harkin's favorite songs, by the way. Aren't we blessed to have the musicians we have in this church? Amen. And you know, the, I thought also about the uh, Dorothy and I, you know, you hear we're going to pray for our descendants, our children, our children's children. Now, Dorothy and I can say yes, children, children's children, children's children's children, and now children's children's children, children. A lot to cover, isn't it, sister? <laughs> Tuesday, as I was in my cubby hole next to the kitchen, just desperately seeking to hear from God for the word this morning, really crying out. Suddenly the words to Jesus' Olivet Discourse began to come to me. Now in Matthew chapter 24, 25, and 26, in that Olivet Discourse, our Lord interweaves predictions about his coming, about the end of the world, and the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's important as we read those verses to try to distinguish between them which is he addressing here and what is he addressing there. We'll not get into that today. But specifically, I was drawn to the first words of that discourse. I was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Now he had just said about the temple, the day will come when not one stone will be left another. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's the only way they could relate to anything like that. It must mean the end of the world. Of course, he was talking there about the destructive Jerusalem in 70 AD. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one may mislead you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. 
and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because of lawlessness increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the Lord shall come. Even though... Those words came to me in response to prayer. I still had some doubt. Is this really a word from God? Or is this just some of your thinking? And so as often my custom, I came and knelt here, began to further ask God for confirmation. I began to picture Jesus in this pulpit. If Jesus were to stand before this congregation today, May the 5th, what would he say? Then another strange thing happened. <laughs> As I continued to pray, the opening lines of Charles Dickens' novel, The Tale of Two Cities, <laughs> began to come to my mind. The first part of it I could remember, but not all, so I pulled out my copy of Tale of Two Cities and began to read. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. All of us were going direct to heaven. And all of us were going direct to that other place. <laughs> Those words interwoven with Matthew 24 would not leave me. And it has been so the rest of the week. So I believe that is a word that our Lord would have us ponder this morning. In many ways, especially in America, we can say it is the best of times. America today is the most prosperous country in the history of the world. I heard a report this past week that the last quarter, January, February, and March, the gross national product in the United States has exceeded far expectations, setting records. I heard a report from the Department of Labor that said the hourly wage in America right now, the average hourly wage is $27.77 an hour. That's more than $57,000 a year. <laughs> How many of us are there, but... The Department of Labor says that's the average hourly wage in the United States today. We have conveniences today <laughs> that previous generations and many in the rest of the world never dreamt about. Yesterday, 
I cleaned the gutters on my house, and I tell you, they just didn't have leaves. They had mud. I got filthy. And when I got through, I took my clothes off and jumped in the shower, and here came a warm, refreshing shower. Whoopee. My mother and her family were settlers, pioneers, really. And they were some of the first settlers who came into the area that is now Westville, Oklahoma, and helped settle that area. Steve Staub knows about that because he's from West Fork, not far from there. You know how they took a bath? When the weather was warm enough, they jumped in the creek. <laughs> and the wintertime, they just didn't take a bath. <laughs> I was talking to my Aunt Biddy, my father's sister, about how they took a bath. They took a bath once a week on Saturday night. And the way they did it, they put water in a wash tub and the oldest boys and set it on the wood stove. Nine children, I believe. And after the water was heated, they lifted it off. And every, that was Saturday night. The girls would stand in the water and wash up. And after all the girls and the boys got a turn. But how do I do it? <laughs> I just step in the shower and turn the knob and pull it and out comes... Water, whatever temperature I wanted. Wow. The best of times. The best of times. On and on and on we could go, can't we? You and I, in the United States of America, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in many ways are living in the best of times. And what about Bible? Let me tell you something. There are brothers and sisters throughout the world who go to prison because they're trying to get a Bible. And some are tortured and some are slain. If anyone in Tulsa, Oklahoma doesn't have a Bible, it's because they've chosen not to. You can get a free one. Let me tell you, you can go to First Watch Restaurant at 81st and Lewis and on the wall between the waiting area and the cashier, there's a stack of Bibles free for the taking. <laughs> and you know, if you get one version and read it and don't like what it says, you can find another one until you find one that agrees with you. Pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> Let me tell you, when it comes to the Word of God and its availability, we're living in the best of times. In Tulsa, Oklahoma today, there are more than 1,000 churches. And sometimes I drive around town, oh, there's one I never saw before. Seems like one's starting every week and one's dying every week. <laughs> and if you attend one and don't like it, you can shop around till you find one you like, which that in itself is probably a bad thing. These, in many ways, are the best of times. Some years ago, we had some brothers from the Ukraine come and visit us. And while they were with us, we went to the grocery store. They were just awed at all the groceries that were available in our land. And what about medical advances? Bruce, Nancy, new hips. More than one of you have had new knees. Think of that. That would have been totally beyond anyone's thought a couple of generations ago. Astounding, isn't it? 
what we are able to do. More of us, including me, have had hernia surgery. Some of us were going blind and we had cataract surgery. I can now read without glasses. Amazing. My, all of these things that are available to us. In America, especially in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in many ways, we're living in the best of times. But on the other hand, there are other sides. And by the way, one of the things that is really catching my attention right now is the very credible support, or rather reports, of the growing number of miracles happening around the world and in America. Three books I have recently encountered that substantiate this. First one written by Eric uh, McTaxis, who some of you know through radio and writings. He has written a book called just simply Miracles. Dr. Jane Tease was employed by a medical society, I don't remember just which one, to investigate some of the reports of miracles that they were hearing. Now, she was an atheist and began, therefore, to do this investigation to debunk them and said there's really some medical explanation. But after a while, Dr. Tease not only came to believe in God, but came to believe in Jesus Christ. And she now has written a book entitled Faith That Heals, and it's not a Word of Faith book, but substantiates scores and scores of miracles that as a medical person she has validated. And then Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he was editor in charge of one section of that daily paper. His wife became a Christian and he resented it. And so he set out to debunk this cult that she had joined. He was an atheist. And the more he investigated, and the more he investigated, and the more he investigated, <laughs> he's now not only an author but a man who teaches the Word of God. The first book he wrote was The Case for Christ. I recommend that you read it. You might get bored in such detail. The second book is The Case for Christ. I mean, The Case for Christ. And the third one, The Case for the Resurrection. And he's most recently written a book, The Case for Miracles. Joel mentioned he heard a report on it, and as he as he substantiates all the miracles happening in China, which is resulting in numbers of people coming into the kingdom of God. We're living in an age in which it seems miracles, valid miracles, are beginning to occur to the degree that they were occurring in biblical times. What does that mean? Does it mean that the end is getting close? Who can say? Yes, in many ways, it's the best of times, but also in other ways. It's the worst of times. 
sex trafficking, for example. I heard a report this past week of an individual who somehow is involved in these things throughout the world said today there are more slaves in the world than there have ever been in the history of the human race. As I recall, he said two and a half million. I probably that memory is maybe two and a half million. And more than a million girls in sex slavery. Sadly, in some countries where the family is experiencing poverty, they sell their daughters to sex slave traffickers. Can you imagine that? Selling your daughter into such a life. But many of the girls are kidnapped. Remember from Boko Haram in Nigeria, what they did. Esther Gotch, as some of you know, has this as her mission in life. She has testified before a United States Congressional Committee about a month ago. She testified before a committee in the United uh, Oklahoma Congress. She's met with leaders of the trucking industry. She's met with police forces trying to convince them that these women aren't all criminals. Many are victims. And then Leah and Aaron Newcomb in Seattle. What a wonderful thing they're doing. Leah's out on the streets, but Aaron has built homes and remodeled homes and provided buildings in which these women, that they have been able to make it possible for them to escape to come there and be healed and rehabilitated. Jim Barger, one of our former elders, is on the board of that organization, and Aaron tells me he's his biggest contributor. <laughs> Thank God that our Lord has warriors in that battle. But what a horrible thing that that battle evens to be even needs to be fought. Sometimes, you know, Tulsa has been described as the hub of that activity in this area because of all of the highways that intersect here. Drug addiction. Have we ever seen anything like this before? 1960s, of course, it kind of started. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody that used drugs. I knew folks that drank alcohol, but not drugs. We heard remote reports of somebody using heroin, but that was off in California somewhere, maybe Chicago. As a musician, sometimes we would hear reports of People amazing using cocaine. I heard one report as a teenager that if you smoke pot, you could play faster because it seemed like you were playing slower. But I didn't know anybody that smoked pot. <laughs> it was just a tale. But I'd venture to say that a good percentage of the families in this church have relatives that have been affected by the proliferation of drugs in our society and because of that the devil owns them and they no longer have the will to really determine anything about their lives. Disrespect for law, law enforcement, night after night on our newscasts we hear about shootings and killings and robberies. 
And here's a thing that really struck me this past week as I was reading statistics. The Department of Agriculture says that even though we're living in a land in which food is abundant, in the United States of America, I don't know how they found this out, but here's what they say. Every night, one in seven Americans goes to bed hungry, and one in five children. And they said, we do not define hunger as wanting ice cream before you go to bed, but a child who goes to bed with an aching stomach because he or she has not had anything to eat all day long. Oh, in many ways, it is the worst of times. And even though today in the United States we have churches everywhere, our culture is increasingly rejecting the faith of God as being irrelevant for our enlightened age. Yesterday I read a quote from one of the elites of Hollywood that said, we have to kill religion in order for us to live. What a horrible statement. When I was teaching the class here on Genesis a year or so ago, one of the women, one of the women attending the class handed me a note, and I read it. And it said, a very intelligent person, one of the most intelligent people I know, says that hell was never a part of Christianity until the Norse introduced it. Now, you've heard me before from this pulpit say something is horse feathers, and that is. The Norse did not receive Christianity until the ninth century. <laughs> And well before the ninth century, hell was a part of the doctrine of Christ. Thank Bill for that sermon last Sunday. I know he hated to bring it, but we needed to hear it. We're in a time in which the world, our culture, America, many people and places of power and influence are doing absolutely everything they can to get rid of of Christianity. You know, here's a, an article from uh, USA Today. And here is a retired American Baptist minister who said, American churches must reject literalism and admit we got it wrong on gay people. Churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth. Being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. He continues to say the Bible didn't come down from heaven. It's the product of men, and it's full of mistakes, and reason and experience contradict Scripture. And you know what? <laughs> you could find articles like that in a lot of places if you just chose to look for them. In some ways... This is the worst of times. But remember in Matthew 24, Jesus said there'd be many false prophets that would deceive many. We're seeing it in the world today. I just can't hardly stand 
to read some of the things that are out there, but I find from time to time I have to because some of these wild teachings are infected churches for which I have a responsibility. Recently, I received an email from some brothers in Connecticut, and there's a particular heresy coming out of Redding, California that's infecting their church, and at least the expression of it in their church was that Jesus was just a mere man, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we can have the same anointing he had and therefore do everything he could do. What do you think about that? So, okay, here's what I think about that. (laughs) First of all, Jesus Christ was born when the Holy Spirit impregnated a virgin. Do you know any mere man who can claim that? When John the Baptist immersed him, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit rested upon him and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. He didn't say he has become, but is. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his garment shone like fuller's cloth, his face shone like the sun. Do you know any human of whom that could be said? And the voice again from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. One day, when Jesus was teaching, the session was interrupted by a hole in the roof. (laughs) And here a man was being lowered. A man who had palsy and his four friends knew that Jesus could heal. And they wanted to get him in the presence of Jesus. So they lowered him through the roof. And Jesus looked at the man said, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Bystanders were shocked. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus said, Is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or take up thy bed and walk, so that you'll know that Son of Man has the power to forgive sin? Take up your bed. And he did. Do you know any human being who can look at someone who has never made a confession, never done repentance, never done any of this, and say, your sins are forgiven. Is there any mere mere human who can do that? Jesus, the night he was betrayed, said to the disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, And no man comes to the Father but, and the Greek preposition is dia with the dative, through me. Do you know any human who could say that without telling a lie? (laughs) Perhaps a false Messiah might try, but again, horse feathers. Oh, brothers and sisters, and yet that particular movement is seducing thousands of people, especially young people who are not able yet to think well. Wonderful music is coming out of that movement, and because people like the music, the movement is validated and seduction is taking place. The man who's putting forth this himself has never said Jesus was a mere man. Well, I'm making myself read the man's stuff 
so I'll not know what others have said he said, but what he actually wrote. And he said Jesus is God, but he limited. I wish he'd said Jesus was God back then, not just now. Since such things like uh, Jesus gave us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. No, he didn't. Matthew 16, which he is citing, Jesus said, I give to you, Peter, doso soy, dative, singular. <laughs> so it was just to Peter he said, I give to you. He didn't say that to the disciples. And Peter exercised the keys when he opened the door to heaven to Jews on the day of Pentecost, when he validated the reception of half-breed Jews in Samaria in Acts 8, and when he opened the doors of heaven to Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. The three different representations of the human race. Peter is the one who unlocked heaven for them. Doso soy, not doso huramin, which it would be had it been for all of the disciples. On and on and on I read this stuff, and I have to make myself do it. <laughs> I almost feel brutalized. <laughs> but what choice do I have when other churches are struggling with various things and ask me, Jim, what's the truth? And the only way I know to validate or invalidate these things is to get it from the horse's mouth, not in a secondary manner. I heard Tuesday about two young men who were charged with murder because they had prayed for a sick woman and she died. Can you imagine that? Street preacher in England was arrested for hate speech because he was preaching on Lincoln High Street, a Muslim area of London. And in his sermon, he said, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so he was convicted of hate speech. <laughs> now, a later court overturned it, but he was initially so charged. This past week, I read about a situation in Canada in which a girl in the seventh grade was talking with her school counselor, and her school counselor suggested that she start identifying as a boy. And so as a result, the British Columbia Children's Hospital, where I guess this counselor sent her, was going to give her testosterone injection so she'd have more of a male appearance. The father heard about it and objected, and so it ended up in court, and the court ruled the father had no right to stop this girl from having these testosterone shots, and the doctors were arguing they, the father couldn't either. And then here's the kicker. They said if the father or mother refer to Maxine 
with female pronouns, she and her, they will be charged with child abuse. Can you imagine that? The worst of times, the way this world seems to be going. From this pulpit before, we've said, and I'll say it again, if you want to read an accurate description of the United States of America today, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and read the last part of that chapter. And there you find a very pre precise description of the United States. And you say, how could we ever get this way? Well, notice the passage begins when they did not acknowledge him as God, nor give thanks. God gave them, or he took his hand off, have it your way, and here we are. Disrespect of parents, crime, women desiring women, men desiring men. My, 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 the worst of times. One thing that is important in the sermon Bill brought last week, and there were many things important, a marvelous word, is that our feelings must not be our criteria for what we decide is right and wrong. Sadly, I know some people whose morals determine their theology instead of their theology determining their morals. Even though a man might be drawn to women other than his wife, he better not step over that line. If a man is drawn to having sex with other men, don't step over that line. If a woman is drawn to having sex with other women, don't step across that line. <laughs> your feelings must not determine your morals. But God's holy word but to him who is faithful unto death I will give the crown of life what a promise I was really touched this is I believe the month of February on the voice of martyrs calendar here you have a line of young men here you have a line of young women walking into this creek. At the head of every line, there's a man. You can tell he's a preacher because he has on a tie. Nobody else does. <laughs> and one by one, immersing them into Jesus Christ. And here's the caption. Young adults in rural Vietnam await their turn to be immersed in a local river and publicly proclaim that they belong to Christ, knowing that their decision will likely result in persecution, including possible eviction from their homes and pressure to reject Jesus. Yet, they eagerly anticipate the precious words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you have that courage? Would you have that 
courage. Recently, we heard about a man who is an Uber driver. And there's a woman that wanted him to drive her to an abortion clinic and refused to do it and tried to talk her out of having an abortion and he was fired. And here's what he or some one of his friends said, as Christians, we need to live as if we're already fired. He that is faithful unto death, to him will I give the crown of life. My brother, my sister, I have no idea what's ahead. I have no idea what kind of persecutions we will face. If in England, another interesting thing I heard recently that in England, if you have a Roman Catholic school, you can only have half of your student body Roman Catholic. And so if you're a Roman Catholic family and you want to send your child to Roman Catholic school and 50% of their population or their student body is already Roman Catholic, you have to send your kid to a public school. And in England now, they're starting to register every baby, give them a number so they can track and control where their life goes. But (laughs) he that is faithful unto death To him will I give the crown of life. As I say, I don't know what's ahead. I'm 88. I may get out of here before you guys face it. (laughs) But trouble is ahead. Let our convictions be real. Let there be no compromise. We hold to Jesus Christ as Lord The Holy Scriptures is how he has mediated his will and truth to us. And come what may, let's be faithful, whatever the price. May God be praised.